off your feet for a little bit here. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping and praying, and let's, we might listen to a sermon. Uh, we have a few announcements. My name is Nick. I'm on staff here, and this morning I am the king of the announcements, it looks like. Uh, a lot of things that are happening, and we want you to be aware of what's going on here. Uh, first thing I have up is um, we have a ministry that's called RAP, and what that is is we come alongside foster families, helping them out any way we can, and RAP is an acronym that stands for four different things that you can do uh, to help these families. And we're going to have some training, and that training is actually going to be happening February 20th, February 20th, not next week as advertised but the 20th, and I'll explain why in a minute here. Uh, But if you would like to join in on that, if you'd like to be one of these four uh, teams, uh, or this team of four elements, uh, just come see uh, Evan and know that you're going to be uh, trained in how you can best serve these uh, families out here. Another thing that is uh, advertised is happening is a church membership class. It says the 20th, but it's actually going to be the 27th. And the reason that these had to be moved is somebody forgot that next week is a national holiday. It's the Super Bowl. And, and so, we, yeah, because of the Super Bowl, we got to move everything, and that's why that's, that's happening. So uh, next week is the Super Bowl, just so you're aware of that. But after our service, we will have a church membership class. Lunch will be included, so you want to come and be a part of that. Also, we have a team of people here uh, who are basically our construction crew, and they are a bunch of people that are just really handy with working with tools and things like that. And if you're one of those people and you'd like to join that team, again, come see myself or Evan, and we'd love to get you on that team. We have some projects coming up. Uh, News Center One did did an interview with our very own Ted, who's starting the Showers of Blessings. Um, and, uh, yeah, they need to work on that, uh, that trailer to get that thing going, and that'll probably be one of our first projects that we'll jump into. Uh, but just be uh, ready for that. And then coming up on February 8th, Tuesday, that's this Tuesday, it's going to be Talk Taco Tuesdays, and that's going to be at the Parsonage at 6.30, and that's getting our uh, mission to Mexico trip ready, and we're going to learn how to speak Spanish and things like that, if you know Hablo Espanol muy bien, and uh, so you want to be a part of that, and also, there is a giving link, is that up on a slide? It's not up on a slide. Okay, it's on our giving site. So there is a link where you can directly give to support the members who will be going down to Mexico. And that's coming up the first couple of weeks of March uh, really quickly here. So if you'd like to help out, you can give there. Also coming up, uh, February 27th, we're going to begin some training that's called Square One. And Square One is a ministry uh, that's geared for building a community 
okay? So uh, you're not just going to be discipled. You're actually going to be trained to build a Christ-centered community around yourself, which will enable you to take the gospel outside of these four walls and impact the outlying community. And so we're really excited to offer that training to you, and that will be at 8.30 in the morning, Sundays. I think we'll have donuts to lure you in, and and we'll start that training again February 27th, the end of the month here. And uh, then, as you, some of you may know that we have members in our church, Sarah and uh, Jacob DeGroat, and they just had a baby, and she's awesome, and there's so many little girls coming into the world recently that, uh, yeah, you guys have it made, you know, they're just going just gonna to have a bunch of girls to grow up with. Uh, but anyway, we have a meal train uh, for them, and there's a code for them. You can see the code is E1, not E-L, E1, E-V-8-2. And we want to encourage you to sign up. Even if you don't know who Jacob and Sarah are, this is a great way to get to know who they are. Uh, and they are members of our church family, so uh, help them out uh, because, yeah, it's really hard to cook food when you have a brand new baby in the house. And, uh, yeah, I think I covered everything. If, there's, if you want more information on things that are going on here, uh, you can go to our uh, website, commongroundcma.org, and go to events and updates and uh, get more information. Okay? Now is the time we normally call our awkward interaction time, all right, social interaction time. Uh, it's only awkward if Evan makes it that way. So come and say hi to Evan. All right, uh, just get up, say hi to everybody, but make sure you say hi to Evan before you get back to your seats. Ready, set, go.
continue worship.
seated. This is the time in the service where we give of our tithes, we give of ourselves, we give of our offerings. So I always point out on the screen that we have our giving links listed. If you feel called to give this morning, we encourage you to do that. And I just want to remind you guys that giving is a sign of worship. It's a sign of praising our God, saying to him, God, you have blessed me abundantly, so I want to give back to you a small piece of what you've given me. And I want to steward the gifts in which you've given me, God. So I ask you to consider that this morning. And if that's on your heart, please do so. Um, the next song we're singing is a song called Build My Life. And the lyrics of the song are very powerful. And actually, they reminded me of the scripture in Matthew 7, 24, which says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and Jesus is speaking about those who follow the will of God and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against this house, and it fell down with a great crash. And I just think the scripture is so powerful, and it's a great reminder that we must not be like the foolish builders who placed their hope into things that will fail us. They, I mean, as humans, we always go to those things, such as money, power, ourselves, our works, other people, family members, leaders. When we place our hope in these things, that those foundations always, always fall down. Because when the rain comes, these false foundations crumble away. So I just want to remind you guys to place your firm foundation on Jesus this morning. Because when those trials come, and the rain falls, and the streams rise, and beat against our house, if it's placed on Jesus, it will not fall. Our house will stand. So I just want to remind you guys, as we sing this next song, let's remember that about Jesus today, that he is a rock, and he is our firm foundation. And let's thank him for his greatness this morning. There we go. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Yes, Jesus We live for you And that is our prayer, that we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save 
Evan up to lead us in a time of prayer. We're leading there, and we hear that that was the first time Matt ever led with piano, so well done. Wow. So much talent. <laughs> All right, well, I'll look for the workers' comp claim, I guess, later. I mean, legally, yeah. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are going to enter into our time of prayer where we set aside this time specifically in our service um, to pray for one another. And so this is a time in which Matthew is going to run a mic around for you to share um, how it is that we can be praying for you, um, how it is that we can approach the throne of God and to ask for him to do things on your behalf, or how it is that we can be praising God um, for the things that he's done in your life, some of the things that he 
has done over the last week, the last month, the last year, however long it's been. Um, but what we usually do is when we do prayer time, um, we hear all the requests. Some of us write these down. We remember them. We pray for them throughout the week. But usually, like, I or our prayer leader up front will just, like, pray for it at the end. But what I want to do today is once we hear all of these requests, I'm going to have all of you guys pray for them. And so you're going to have to pay attention here because I'm going to assign um, certain prayer requests to different sections of the room here. And then you guys will gather up into a small group or just with your family and pray for these requests together. So with that, you'll have to pay a little more attention to these requests to know what exactly it is that you're praying for. I will write them down and then I'm going to tell you which ones it is that you will pray for. Sound good? Can you remember that? Everybody's ready? So with that, I'm going to go ahead and open the floor. Um, How is it that we can be praying for you today? And um, he has come, and he is went on emergency leave yesterday. His grandfather is very sick down in Florida, and so he is asking us to mm-hmm. pray for him. And also pray for Lucas for his heart, mm-hmm. that um, he's searching and struggling, and um, he just needs a lot of prayer as he's having some changes in his life in the next month or so. Yeah, we'll pray for Lucas. Really happy to have gotten to know him recently. That's cool. Christina in the back. Oh, Christina. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right, I got, well, two requests, actually. A co-worker of mine, um, her name's Avine. I'm not sure if she's Scottish or Irish, but she's got a bit of an accent. Never mind. Anyway, she's a really good friend, and she just recently lost her husband to cancer. Dave is his name. She had to go through the... Uh, funeral I think it was on yeah Friday and uh, I just hope I know he's yeah he's at peace and everything but uh, I just hope she's doing okay and everything and that was Nadine you said a Avine Avine got it Avine. yeah I don't know if that's Scottish or Irish but that's what it sounds like okay awesome. and the uh, second request is uh my uh well separate I guess you might say Jean Straub has just recently had a stroke and is in the mm-hmm. hospice I just hope she's uh, getting over that, and I know it's, it's getting close to her joining my grandpa, but mm. still. Yeah, okay. I just want to ask for a little healing, I guess you might yeah. say. My name's Dayton. Uh, those who've been here the last few weeks, we've been giving you a Ron Baker update, a good friend of ours, and numerous people in the church. He's down in uh, Arizona. He had brain surgery in December. Surgery went great. However, uh, when he went to the rehab facility, they dropped the ball big time. Mm-hmm. Um, got severely dehydrated, badly infected, bed sore, and set him back. So this prayer for recovery, um, what looked so good the day of the surgery has mm-hmm. turned very sour. I guess just on a side, if you ever have someone in medical care 
they need an advocate. You know, no matter how good the facility looks, what you've heard, sometimes the ball gets dropped. Most people are great, but here's a case where mm -hmm. it turned out not so good. Thanks for the update. Third year back that time we're turning around. Let's take it. Pray for him. You okay? Pray for Matt's ankle now. Um, my name is Winter for everyone. I think most people know me. Um, I just uh, praise for um, my grandfather had a lot of health problems over the last few months. Um, in the hospital in like October with a, what the doctor called an army of ulcers in his stomach, um, passed out from low iron because of the amount of blood that he lost through that, um, which he got that taken care of and then went back to the hospital for what is called um, uh, Burette's Barrett's esophagus, which essentially is the stomach acid eating the base of your esophagus. So he got the destroyed part taken out and of that they found stage one esophageal cancer mm -hmm. which they also took out so praise God that they he went to the hospital at the right time for the right thing to find something else more more dangerous and deadly and he's one of five in the last five years in the state of Wisconsin to have stage one esophageal cancer found and taken out so just a huge praise that he's alive and recovering well and he left the hospital four days early um, So on uh, behalf of Tetiana, um, she's home with post-COVID uh, mm. symptoms, and I can relate to, to those feelings. But she's also asked us to remember to pray for Ukraine uh, with the tense situation that's going on over there and uh, all the people and missionaries and Christian brothers and sisters there. Mm. See you on the live stream there, Tatiana. I pray for you. Hi, I'm Ted. I have an uncle that's in hospice right now. He's only got a couple days is what they're saying. He lost his sister yesterday, and we just want to keep him in our prayers. Also, I'd like to say that if you see somebody falling out of your life, reach out to them and check on them because things are bad right now. And we just have to watch out for each other. Yeah. Uh, I guess my name is Andrea. Um, we mentioned last week my cousin was in the hospital for to be induced, and she ended up having her baby that same day. Uh, so I guess just a praise that everything went smoothly and they ended up, they didn't know what they were having. So they ended up having a little baby girl named Molly Joy. So praise God that everything went smoothly with that. Yeah. Praising God for that scary situation, but we took care of them. That's awesome. Always good to hear that update after you're like praying for something. And it's like, well, sometimes we don't always hear the update. It's like, praise God for that. 
myself specifically. Um, Brother Papa Tetsu passed when we were um, I wasn't going to uh, talk about this. Um, but I um, yeah, would like to ask for prayers for my mental health specifically. Um, friends have been great, but school is hard and family is hard. And um, yeah, um, praise for good friends for sure. Uh, and specifically, So you left side. You guys are going to be praying over Carol's request. I'm praying for Lucas, whose grandpa's sick. Um, and just for Lucas, um, who is asking a lot of questions and leaning into God right now. Um, for Winter's grandpa as well, um, for the ulcers that he's had, for the esophageal cancer. And then for Antonia, um, as she has just shared. Um, so for you guys on this side, I pray for Antonia, for her mental health, and for some of the struggles that she's been having recently, especially with how hard family and school has been. Sound good? You guys take that? So then with that, you guys can gather up into groups and pray for those. Right side here, um, if you guys could pray for Christina, um, her co-worker, Avine, lost her husband. And would you just pray um, for healing there, as well as for Jean Straub, um, who had a stroke, if you could be praying for that. And then if you guys could also pray for um, Ted's uncle, who just lost his sister. And then... Um, if you could also pray over all of us as a church that we would be aware of those in our midst who are struggling and that we would be able to, to stand by those um, who are struggling through some of these hard situations as he has shared. So you guys on the right side, those are your things to pray for right now. Center, um, if you guys could pray for Ron Baker, um, for the infection that he has, um, for the dehydration and just for the care that he's been receiving, um, if you could pray that he can get into a rehab center that um, will take care of him. Um, just pray for his family as they continue to try to advocate for him and to get him good care. Um, would you guys also pray for Tatiana? Um, pray for her and Anya as they recover from COVID, and then pray for her family back in the Ukraine and just all the tension that is going on there. Would you just pray for them? Last one, center. If you could pray for Andrea's cousin's baby, little Molly Joy. Um, praise God that she's healthy and moving forward, um, but would you just continue to pray blessings over that? Okay, sound good? Everyone know what they're praying for? If not... Look at someone who looks like they're, they know what they're doing and then join them. <laughs> so with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and start us in prayer. You can gather up. And then once I feel like we've had about enough time, I'm going to go ahead and pray and wrap us up. Sound like a plan? Okay. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? And then we can shuffle up and get together. Um, well, Father God, um, we just come before you. Um, would you make our minds sharp to remember these things um, that have been brought before us? We just recognize that you were the God who hears our prayers, and so we just give these prayers to you at this moment. God, we turn to you. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray.
we thank you for being a God who hears our requests. And we just pray that over the next week that you would remind us of these things, um, that you would remind us of these requests that have come before you, that we would be a people who would continue to, to pray over these things. God, we thank you for this family here. Uh, would you just empower us to be a people who pray for one another, um, who stand by one another, who support one another, um, and who love one another as you have loved us. That's truly our desire. And so, God, as we turn our attention now to your word, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts um, to receive what it is that you have for us? And would you just help me and empower me um, to speak the words that you are wanting to speak to all of us, that you are seeking to change us from the inside out? And so would you just do that now? We just give you the sign. So Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for entering into that time. Thank you for praying for one another. And I would just encourage you, hopefully, that you can remember these things and be praying for them through the week. Okay, well, we are currently in a teaching series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've been in it for a few weeks now, and we have reached what is chapter 4. And so that's where we are going to be today, if you want to start moseying on over to Hebrews chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you, or if you just want to Google Hebrews chapter 4, whatever works to find your way there. Um, but as we have been talking about, um, the book of Hebrews is different from a lot of the typical New Testament books, where it's not written necessarily as a letter like most of the New Testament books are, but it's more as a sermon. This is like a message preached um, to an ancient church in about 60 AD um, who were struggling in their faith. Uh, a lot of them were just new to the faith and they were just seeing how their lives had drastically changed and following Jesus had actually made their lives harder than it was before and they were wondering if they should just turn back and if they should go back to being a Jew. And then some of them had been following Jesus for a while, um, but it was just getting tiring. I mean, it was getting tiring, and their feelings were just that they needed a break. Maybe they would just take a break from following Jesus or just take a little rest. And we kind of used the analogy last week of it's like napping in the driver's seat. It's not a really a good idea. And that was the temptation that they had. And the author, or the preacher to the Hebrews, is encouraging them. He's encouraging them to hold to their faith. Um, as he goes through it, he's basically shutting all the escape hatches, saying, don't leave Jesus, don't turn back. Don't fall asleep. And he's kind of shaken us awake um, in some of these cases by encouraging us and by talking about Jesus, by talking about what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And what we're going to see in this chapter as we get to chapter 4 here is the main theme of rest. We're going to see the word rest in this chapter 11 different times. We saw it mentioned in the previous chapter um, that due to unbelief, the people of Israel, it was described as they didn't enter the rest or they didn't enter the promised land, right? That many, many wanted to turn back, or they felt like they just needed a break from their faith, and actually because of that, they didn't enter the rest. And so now the author of Hebrews, he kind of gave that warning in the last chapter of like, this is what will happen if you don't believe, this is what will happen if you don't believe in Jesus and stick to it, and that was kind of the bad example, the warning, and now it's in this chapter, chapter four, where he's going to kind of give the positive instruction. He's going to say, okay, that was the warning of what would happen, now here is what you do. Here's how you enter that rest. Here is the rest that God has for you. And that's what he's going to talk about in this chapter today. And so if you found your way to Hebrews chapter 4, um, we're going to go ahead and read all that, and we'll have the words on the screen here as well. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, 
did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, that in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. So that's Hebrews chapter 4. It's a little wordy and a little confusing, and there's a little bit of a struggle, I think, sometimes when we first read it, to know exactly what this chapter is about. And so I just want to show you uh, a little method, a, a category of scripture passages that's going to help us with a chapter like this. Um, and this is what we would call a salad chapter in the Bible. Okay, This is going to kind of help us to categorize it. This is known in scholarly circles as a salad chapter. And if you know anything about salads, then you know that salads are not the main meal. Nobody sits down for a meal looking forward to the salad, right? But instead, people are triggered already. Instead, the salad is an appetizer, right? It's a starter. It's just to prepare you for the real entree, for the meat, for the the big entree that's coming. And so the salad... Once the salad comes, you know that the entree is on its way. It's going to follow right after. And that's what this chapter is doing, and that's going to kind of help us to read this chapter, is you look for where the salad is. And the reason that this chapter is a salad chapter is all the lettuce. All the head shaking going on here. (laughs) This chapter is full of lettuce. It has lettuce four different times. And what you're going to see all throughout the book of Hebrews is there are actually a few of these chapters where it's all about this lettuce. And what you see here is that when it's kind of confusing and you're not quite sure, okay, what is applicable to me? It's talking about like God resting on the Sabbath and what exactly does that have to do with me? Well, you look for, okay, where is the salad? Where is the lettuce? And the part that you care about, the meat, is going to come immediately after that, right? That's the appetizer that's preparing you for the part to focus on. And so it, it has it four times in this chapter. Um, four little lettuce statements. The first one, let us fear, and chat, uh, verses 1 through 10 are kind of about that. And then it says, let us strive. Um, verses 11 through 13 are about that. Let us hold fast. Um, verse 14 is going to talk about that. And then let us with confidence draw near. It's going to say in verse 16. 
And understanding this is going to kind of help us to see the outline of the chapter and to be able to understand, okay, what actually is here for us? What actually is God speaking in this moment to us? The, the lettuce is instructing us about what's to come. We see that, we key into it, and then we look immediately following that on what we're going to look at. And so we're going to kind of look through these statements and determine what exactly is the author of Hebrews telling us here. And the first one comes in verse 1, right? That first lettuce statement it says in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And so it's this first instruction, let us fear. And it kind of brings up the question of like, well, what are we supposed to fear? Um, And it starts out a little rough. And I know that this is almost like an uncomfortable instruction, right? It starts out with, be afraid. Let's be afraid. And I know right away that's a little rough, and oftentimes as Christians we hear that and we go, no, like we're not supposed to be afraid. Like we've heard over and over again, like the most common instruction or command in the Bible is do not fear, right? And that perfect love casts out all fear. And in the chapter we read last week, it says that, oh, we're not slaves to fear because now we're children of God. And we're like, no, there's no way. Like we got to cross that out. We can't fear. But while the scriptures say over and over, do not fear, We do have to recognize over and over how much it does call us into this. And it's a little hard to understand at first, right? But what the author is getting at here is not like a fear or a paranoia all the time. We're not just supposed to like walk around knees trembling or be worried that randomly like someone's going to say something to us and our salvation is just going to be snatched from us and we're going to forget about Jesus and everything or that, you know, um, we have to be like permanently paranoid about Some people, you know, look like they're Christians the whole time, and then we're going to find out one day they really weren't, and it's just there's no way to tell, right? That's not the fear that we have. That's not what he's talking about here. The fear that he's calling us to is the fear of essentially the alternative to following Jesus, the alternative to faith. It says fear not having that salvation in Christ. Essentially, don't take it lightly um, that you have it. Don't take it lightly that God has saved you. Don't think that it's not that big of a difference um, between those who are able to enter the rest, who have a salvation, and those who don't. That, frankly, if you believe in the positive, then the alternative is kind of scary. The alternative is something to be afraid of. Essentially, he's saying here, don't take lightly your salvation. Take it very, very seriously. Take very, very seriously the reality that the rest isn't entered into, that faith in Christ is not entered into by everyone. Take this very seriously, that that alternative um, essentially is scary. It is terrifying. And when these verses come up, I know it starts out kind of rough, and it feels like the author of Hebrews is really kind of shaking us awake. It's like, okay, this is a good start. Be afraid. Um, But I think these passages in the Bible, we have to kind of sit with them. We have to kind of sit in the tension of seeing those there. We know all the commands to not fear just because it says to fear here, sometimes we have to sit in that and determine what exactly that means and allow the scriptures to kind of hold us in that tension. Allow it to kind of be there. Uh, Let that be the tension. Uh, Don't just cross out the things that don't quite make sense here. Um, But what he's saying here is fear the alternative. Fear not entering God's rest. And he uses the same example that we saw last week, right? Of the Israelites um, leaving Egypt and getting to the promised land. 
But then because they did not believe in God, they didn't get to enter the promised land. That they kind of thought it was all about them and they were going to do it on their own. And so what happened was they died in the wilderness. God said, okay, if you don't want to enter the wilderness or enter the promised land, you don't have to. You can stay out here. And they never entered the promised rest. And they died in the wilderness. And only two out of 600,000 were able to enter in. And that's the same analogy, that's the same illustration he uses here. Um, essentially, take seriously that alternative, that result of not believing in Jesus. Um, especially because human nature is not bent towards belief in God. It's actually bent towards unbelief. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, how the world essentially has a current or a tide permanently or constantly pulling away from Christ. And so the natural tendency, the natural human nature is to drift away, to go away, to move towards unbelief, um, to fulfill our own wants or desires, or to essentially try to do things on our own, trying to be God. And when we lean into the analogy that they use there when he's talking about you know, the wilderness and them entering the promised land, uh, one of the things that they like, misunderstood and that led to their disbelief in God was that they thought they were going to have to go in and they were going to have to do it all on their own, right? They saw a bunch of buff guys that they were going to have to fight, and they said, well, we can't do that. We're not going to be able to do that. And these were people who had just seen God fight for them over and over again, provide for them. But yet, their unbelief caused them to think, well, I have to do it all on my own. No, it's all about me. God doesn't actually fight for me or fight for his glory in my life. It's all about what I can control. And once they finally entered the promised land, after the first generation that didn't want to go in, was gone. When they finally entered, um, if you know anything about um, the story of the Israelites moving into the promised land, is that the first city that they took was Jericho, right? And you know the kid's song about Jericho, right? They walk around it a few times, and they play their little trumpets, and the walls fell down. And God was trying to show them in that very first city that they took that another reminder, it's not about you, it's not about what you're going to do, but I'm actually the one who's going to fight for you. That all you have to do is believe in me and believe me, and these things will happen. And he was showing them right off the bat, this first city you're taking, I'm actually the one doing all the work. All you did was walk around it and toot your little horn, and this worked. It happened. And so this is, this is kind of what it's, it's calling us to today. It's, it's to recognize the fear of doing it on our own. Be afraid of the alternative, of, of taking things into your own hands, of having to fight for yourself, having to work for your own salvation. That is kind of a scary prospect. Because I think all of us would recognize that God has said, okay, well, you can do it on your own, or I can do it for you. And I think almost all of us would say, okay, yeah, I think it would be better for you to do it for me than for me to do it myself. And that's this instruction, let us fear. Let us fear the alternative of not believing God and believing in God and trying to do it on our own because it doesn't work out. And he gives this example of the Israelites and the promised land of it not working out. He says, believe in me because the alternative doesn't work. But you can believe in me. And it's kind of funny. It almost seems like, you know, a little bit of sarcasm almost where in verse 7 he even says that you can believe in me. You can trust in God that from the beginning of time, God has appointed a certain specific day for you to believe in me and to trust me. And that day is called today. <laughs> when is it that God has decided for you to believe in me and trust me? Today. And so that day is going to continue on throughout time that we know, okay, 
what day is it that God has chosen for us to believe in him? It's called today. To believe and to trust in him. And that's what he's talking about here. Fear this alternative to faith. And then he goes on and he begins to talk in this chapter about God's rest. And it's, it seems like this kind of confusing little sentence about, well, when God finished creation um, and then he took a break on the seventh day, that God rested from his work. And he's citing Genesis 2 here, um, where after creation, God rested. Now, if you know the story, God worked for six days, created the universe, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And he rested, bless you, he rested because his work was done. Everything was completely done. And I know I have never completed a job to that kind of completion before. Whenever I'm done at the end of the day, there's always more in my mind. There's always more that could be done. Nothing is ever completely done. But what the author is reminding us here is that when God does something, it's finished. It's completely done. There's nothing left to do. And he's using this idea of the Sabbath at creation to talk about us and the salvation that he's given us as well. That just as God rested when he completed the Sabbath, that for those who believe, you believe in Jesus, that work is done. You have entered into that rest, that Sabbath rest, that there's nothing essentially left that he needs to do for you to be saved. He has finished it. That God has completed the work. And then he instituted the Sabbath. You guys know, you've heard the Sabbath before, right? Okay, it's not new. Okay, he instituted the Sabbath as a reminder of this, as a reminder of this Sabbath rest that God has given us and that God performed. And so when it comes to our work, you know, he instituted it in the Exodus in the wilderness when they were gathering up manna. And he said, as I'm building your trust in me, on the seventh day, don't gather up any food, but actually trust that I'll provide enough for you on the sixth day. And this activity of the Sabbath is a reminder to us of our trust in him, where we're not trying to do it on our own. We're on this day of rest. Instead of working constantly and trying to provide for ourselves, we actually allow God to do the work for us. And when this was first instituted, it was instituted to people who had been slaves for 400 years. And so they didn't know what a day off was. And God is saying, now you rest and you let me do the work. But what had happened over time, and by the time Jesus came around, and then by the time the book of Hebrews was written, the Sabbath had kind of gotten warped and twisted. And instead of being a day full of rest and a day to rely on God, it got really, really strict and legalized, and there were all these things that you could or couldn't do or you had to do on the Sabbath. And it basically was more work to keep the Sabbath than it was to not. Um, and so Jesus even was accused of breaking the Sabbath from time to time. Um, they said that, hey, you're not keeping it, you're not doing enough to keep the Sabbath, which really makes no sense, right? They kind of missed the point. And so Jesus had to kind of retrain everyone on what the Sabbath was about. He said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus here, essentially saying, well, I am actually that rest, that just as God completed the work and rested and is calling you to trust in me to provide for you, that the way that that work is completed in you and the way that you truly show trust is by believing in me. And Jesus is actually claiming here to be that rest. That true rest isn't actually in the promised land where the Israelites were trying to get to, and it's not in taking a day off. It's actually in belief 
Jesus. That is true rest. And as we've gone through the last few chapters in Hebrews, we've seen him kind of make comparisons between Jesus and some of the main, like, cultural and religious symbols of Judaism. And he said that Jesus is better than the prophets, and Jesus is better than Moses, and Jesus is better than angels. And essentially what chapter 4 here is telling us is that Jesus is better than the Sabbath. That all these things point to Jesus, and the Sabbath is one of those things as well. That this idea of rest, this idea of trusting that God will provide and finish his work, was actually pointing to that work that Jesus would do as well. Trusting in him. But of course, this was a big stretch and a big challenge um, for these early Christians and for these people that have been Jews their entire life. And it was something that when you read through the New Testament, you're going to see corrected over and over again. In the Apostle Paul's writings, he's always kind of correcting their misinterpretation of the Sabbath. In Colossians chapter 2, um, still, just like how Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath, and so, oh, you must not be a prophet, you must not be God because of this. Um, a lot of the early Christians were fighting with one another, of saying, well, you don't keep the Sabbath, so you're not a real Christian, and all these different things. And so Paul corrects them in Colossians chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Those are a shadow that the whole point of the Sabbath was to point to Jesus and the finished work that he does. And if we look and focus at the shadow, like you're missing the point, right? And that's what he's saying here, that it's to point to the person of Jesus. And so this is, this is a really kind of key thing that it's teaching us here that in all this kind of wordiness and confusing chapter, he's reminding us that, that true rest, that the work of God, that even this thing called the Sabbath is to point to Jesus and our faith in him. Um, but of course, this was, this was a hard thing um, for the Jew. And this was a hard thing for the early audience in the book of Hebrews. And I would admit this is kind of a hard thing for me who likes to work and who likes to be able to see what I'm able to do or be able to kind of measure my spiritual growth or measure my salvation in ways. And for the, for the people who had trained their entire lives um, to please God, to do all these rituals and keep all these festivals and Sabbaths, this was a really hard change for them. A really hard change for them to stop working, so to speak. To take their hands off and to rest in the finished work of God. That just as God rested after creation, that because of Christ, we rest. That's what he's saying here, even though it's difficult. And so I kind of imagine, like, for, for the early Christians who had just come out of Judaism, you know, their life um, was spent working in these ways and spent focusing so much on the law. And the law is really like a big game of whack-a-mole. It really is. You know, the game where you have a big table and the little gophers come up. But for some reason, we call it whack-a-mole, even though moles have, like, the pointy noses. They're never moles. But these gophers come up. And every time one comes up, right, you have to take the mallet and you have to smack it down. And this is kind of what following the law or trying to, like, earn our salvation is like. As you go through life, these little gophers, these little moles are going to be popping up one by one, and every time you see one, you go like, ah! And you have to, like, smack it and keep it down. And this is one of the temptations for us is that as we see these things that come up in our lives, as we see the sin, as we see the yuck, as we see the mistakes that we make, um, we're tempted to think that, like, we're still playing this game. We're still trying to whack all these little moles and keep them down instead of resting in the completed work of Christ that just as God finished his creation and rested on the seventh day, just as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Instead, we just want to pick up the mallet 
And every time we see this little thing, oh, I've got to smack it or else I might not be saved or else I might be in trouble or else God might punish me. And we try to pick up that mallet over and over again and smack these things. And so these people that Hebrews chapter 4 was written to were people who struggled with that. They struggled with feeling the need to just bop these little gophers every single time they pop up. And so that's where we get this next little lettuce statement. He says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive to enter the rest. So wait, do we strive or do we rest? And if you have the NIV, it says, make every effort to rest. So you, like, work really hard to rest. Kind of seems like an oxymoron, right? Almost seems confusing. It's like jumbo shrimp. Or I heard someone say this last week, plastic silverware. You mean plastic utensils? It can't be silverware if it's plastic. And either way, it's killing the turtles, so stop it. But, <laughs> but either way, it's, it's working to enter rest. And I think that what he's getting at here is this temptation to want to grab that mallet and to whack these things is actually kind of the natural tendency, and it actually takes effort to not. It actually takes effort to not work, to like keep our hands off the mallet and keep ourselves from actually trying to work and to try to control things and to try to think that God's work is not done. It's actually more effort to rest than to try to do it ourselves because our human nature wants to do it ourselves. Our human nature wants to try to earn these things and try to control it. And what he's saying is it's going to take some effort for you to keep your hands off the mallet and to trust in God, to trust in the work that he has done, to trust that he's the one who's going to fight for you. Just as the Israelites didn't want to enter the promised land because they're like, ah, no, that's like too hard. We'd rather like kind of figure out our own way. He's saying, hey, it actually takes more effort to believe and to move forward. And so that's where this kind of strange oxymoron of strive to enter the rest comes in. Because for a lot of us, it is more work to not pick up the mallet, try to knock those things down, to not try to control our faith or how we're pleasing God, but to just rest on the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. That's, that's that second lettuce statement. Then we get to a very famous passage towards the end of this chapter here. In verse 12, this is a passage we should all have memorized, right? Um, He begins to talk about the Word of God in relationship to this rest. Um, Essentially, what role the Bible plays in our rest and in our faith and in all this. And in verse 12, it says this. For the Word of God, the Bible, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this is the context for this very famous passage that a lot of us know and will quote and we're familiar with. And it's talking about this in the context of striving to enter this rest. That actually it's not our bopping on the heads of the gophers, it's actually the word of God that makes the changes in us. That if we want these annoying little sins and things to quit popping up in our lives, it's not actually through just the effort of doing these things, but it's actually through time spent in the word. It's the word of God that changes us, that cuts through to the heart. And so when it comes to unbelief, lack of faith, 
all of these things are actually fixed and actually helped by the word of God, by hearing God's words in the scripture. That is actually what helps us to enter this rest. That is actually what helps us with unbelief, with this disobedience it's talking about. It's the word of God. And then it gives us this analogy that the word is a sword, but it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides soul and spirit, that it gets into our life and it, and it shows us um, essentially what's wrong and that needs correction, and, and it almost makes it feel like these little gophers are worse and it pops them up. But it actually is the thing that does the work for us. And so you see, for the original audience here, um, these are people who they really liked you know, the measurable, tangible things that they could do to know that they're saved, or to know that they were being made more like God, that they were being separated from their sin, that they were getting better. They liked the measurable things. Um, and especially when it came to, like, having a high priest or the temple, it was nice to be able to look at the temple and say, okay, we have a temple, um, so God is obviously at work, or we have a priest, and we can see when priest man does his job, um, when he takes a little lamb in there, and so we know that we're good. We know that God is active and that God is working and that God is doing things in our lives because we can see these things. And what the author, author is telling us here is actually spiritual activity or the work of God in our lives isn't measured by those things. We're going to get into the high priest discussion um, in depth next week. But he introduces it here and he says that we don't measure God's activity in our lives by these things that we can see. We actually measure it, God's activity, through the Word of God, through the Bible, through God's Word in us. That if you have ever heard the message of the gospel and believed it, then that is the work of God in your life. And so for a lot of people, it's like, hey, have you heard this message? Do you believe it? Relax. Sit back and rest and trust in this work that has been done. That we're going to have the temptation to need assurance from all these different things and from a high priest and from a temple and from all these activities that we can do. But the assurance that we need is just these reminders that the Bible will tell us. Trust what the scriptures say. And now I hear, I hear it a lot, but a lot of people will say, like, you know, I like have been reading my Bible a lot, but I can't really remember that much of what it said, or it doesn't really feel like it's doing anything for me. Like, don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it, so to speak. Um, and like on Tuesday mornings, we have a men's Bible study where we're going through the book of Ezekiel. And honestly, there are times after that study when I think, what am I getting out of the book of Ezekiel aside from depression? Like, I don't really know. Like, it's pretty rough. It's been doom and gloom for 31 chapters, you know? But what we have to remember is that these are God's words. They're living words. They're different than ours. You know, our words will fall flat and die eventually. Like, they have power, and they stick with us for a long time. But they're not living to the sense that God's words are living, right? There's this extra um, power that is in them, that everything is actually being held together by God's words. That actually says that God spoke creation into existence, and that he upholds all things by his words. That his words are alive and active. And he also says that they're sharper than any double-edged sword. And this one has been helpful for me um, because if you've, ever, if you've ever gotten cut by something that was so sharp, and I actually just did this this last week, you cut yourself with something that is so sharp and you can't actually tell if you cut yourself. Like it didn't hurt and it's not bleeding. And it first happens and you're like, okay, I know that was bad, 
but nothing's happening. And then as time kind of slowly goes on, okay, then the little red line slowly starts to form. And then after a while, it's like bleeding profusely and like you can't stop it. And it's like, ah, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. But essentially, the Word of God is like that, where it is so sharp that it can cut you and it feels like nothing really happened. What was the point? I'm not really seeing anything. Didn't hurt. Didn't convict me. Just kind of seemed pointless. And then six months later, God will bring this back and he'll bring to mind these words that he's spoken to you. And then before you know it, like your whole hand is red. You're like, oh, I was cut deep by that. I had no idea. Essentially, God's word is so sharp, it's kind of like that. That it doesn't always seem like there's something that happened, but believe that it is so sharp that it is cutting away our unbelief. It is cutting to the things that our little mallets can't actually get to. That it is doing this work. And this is actually kind of my issue with, like, I'm journaling when I read scripture. I don't think it's bad to journal or anything. This is just something that I struggle with, where I always think, okay, well, what am I learning out of this? Um, what, am I, what am I being convicted of? What is there for me in this? Especially with the book of Ezekiel, it's been really hard because I'm like, what am I getting out of this? And then having to trust that the word of God is so sharp that I might not see it right now. But that later on down the road, I'll be reminded, it is so sharp, it has cut out this unbelief. It has gotten to the things that only his word can get to. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So this, this restlessness of, do we need to fix ourselves? Um, we can enter the rest, knowing that his word is doing that work in us. And then in verse 14, he gets into this whole discussion about Jesus as our high priest. Um, like I said, we're going to focus on that next week because all of chapter 5 is about that. Um, and so he's kind of concluding his point here by introducing his next point. It's really brilliant, building on itself here. I mean, he says this in verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he's saying here, it's this, this let us hold to our confession, is the next let us statement, in light of Jesus as the great high priest, right? So, it's hold to your faith knowing that Jesus has accomplished everything. That he's actually the one, he's the high priest, who's doing these things to provide for you forgiveness and atonement and purity and cleanliness and trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that he would not leave a job unfinished. Trust that he knows what you're going through. He knows the little gophers that have come up in your life and he can handle it. He can take care of it. And I think we can all rest better knowing that. Because aren't you happy that your morning routine is not to, to wake up, um, to brush your teeth, to work out, to eat your oatmeal, shower, and then to go outside and sacrifice a lamb, right? Like, it's kind of nice not having to do that, right? <laughs> it's taken care of. It's a much more restful life. And while we might not be tempted to do that, like um, I think the, uh, the early Christians here were, and if you are, please come talk to me, and we can have that discussion. Really, I just want some lamb chops. But what we can recognize is that while we might not be tempted to do that, we are tempted to grab on to our own salvation and to do these works, right? To earn our salvation through popping those little gophers on the head, 
through just trying to, to work it out and to try to base our salvation on morals, right? Um, and many of us struggle with this. We struggle with knowing that, you know, God has forgiven us, that he has healed us, but we feel like he's probably still mad at us or like we've done these things wrong and nothing bad has happened yet. And so we're just waiting for him to like smack us in the face with something, right? That's how it works, right? He's mad and he's out to get us and he's going to bring these things to punish us at any minute. And we're paranoid about that. And that we think, well, we're in big trouble because of these things or, or that we question our salvation because we th- see these things or that we're always worried that maybe God's not working in our lives because we see these things coming up. And what the author is telling us here is with Jesus as the great high priest, all of those religious things have been taken care of by him. He knows the rituals that need to be done by you. He knows the things that need to be done for you. He's completed them all. So you can rest in belief and in faith in him. And God is reminding us here in this little chapter, he's the one who got us out of the wilderness. He's also the one that gets us into the promised land. All we do is believe in him. Trust that he has done all the work. And I think this is helpful for a lot of us who struggle with kind of the works-based faith idea. But I do recognize that I don't think works-based faith is all that common anymore in our culture too much. I know that like some of us have grown up in churches where that was taught, that it was like salvation is through morals and like you can't call yourself a Christian and watch rated R movies or dance or drink or swear or anything like that. It still exists, but it really isn't that common. Our culture has definitely floated away from that. It's not typically that much of a worry. Um, What I see more often is having to essentially guide people into taking the scriptures more seriously, right? Or to not seek salvation from these things, but just to think that, okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus is where we get salvation, but what about like joy and fulfillment and like a good life in these things? Like, those aren't found in Jesus. Like, I find that in my job or in good relationships or in money or like joy and rest is not found in having forgiveness or like your sin debt paid off, but having like your actual debt paid off. Like, that's that's what's better. That's what I'm looking for. And so if I could appropriate this passage a little bit for us, I think our struggle is often seeking to just fill these voids in our life with other things. We might not think that we need to earn salvation. It might not be a struggle for a lot of us. But we still feel this need to fill a place in our heart that is only meant for Jesus with these other things in the world. These idols that cause us to just drift a little bit. Just as Matt um, talked this morning when we sang that song, we're tempted to build our house on the sand because it's closer to water and that would make us much more happy. Like, that's always how I read that. So I'm like, I love the beach and I love the sand. Why would you not build your house on the sand? Do you want to be up on the cliff? But he's saying, those things are not the things that will fulfill you, that will give you this rest. Those will actually lead to this restlessness, to this striving to find your way, find who you are, find what's going to make you happy and fill these voids. And in this little section, that's what it's saying, that to rest in the work of Jesus, the high priest, um, if you could borrow kind of that promised land wandering idea again, it's actually coming home and resting in the work that God has for you and the purpose that he has for you, right? Not trying to seek um, to find your own way, seeking to find what's going to fulfill you, make you happy, um, but actually what God has for us. What does God have for us? And I know that we're going to spend some of our lives kind of figuring out who we are, what we're called to do. There's a bit of that biblically. 
but I think the temptation is then to see Christianity in the exact same way that most of the world sees it, and that's as just kind of an add-on to our lives that will just kind of make us a little better, right? Christianity is a betterment strategy. You just add a little Jesus, like, with your yoga or with your Rubik's Cube or with your violin practice, like, whatever it is, and it's, it's good for you, you know? It makes your life better. It's going to kind of fulfill this void. Um, you know, we're reading this really old book that's confusing, so this is probably making us smarter. And, like, we have more friends because we're here, and so that's good. Or, like, it says that lying is wrong, so it makes us a more honest person. And we don't think that these things equate to salvation, but we recognize that, oh, well, maybe all this is about is just making us, like, better people. And a lot of people will treat Jesus that way. That we might not seek it for salvation, but we're seeking these, these betterment things from outside of Christ. Oftentimes it ends up just bleeding in, and then we'll see Christianity as a self-improvement exercise, right? Um, but Christianity and resting in the finished work of the high priest is coming home to the work that he has for you, taking our identity, taking our purpose, taking all the joy and all the happiness and anything that we could ever need from him and not from anywhere else, and recognizing that it's only him who can provide these things. But that work has actually been done. Now we've entered into this relationship with the Holy Spirit who's opened our eyes to the purpose and the identity that we have in this world. And we know where we came from, and what we're called to in this life, and where we're going after. And he's given us this true meaning. And he is the high priest has finished all that work. He's figured it all out for us so we can rest in that. And then we have the very last lettuce statement let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's in verse 16 there. And this is just a beautiful thing, that we don't have to come before God timidly, he's knocking, worried about what he's going to say to us or do for us. Um, but that because Jesus is our rest, that he's completed the work, that we have freedom, that we get to approach his throne confidence freely. We don't need to seek fulfillment or joy or safety or salvation anywhere else, but it's all been done. That we can come to the throne. Come to his throne with confidence, boldly, to receive mercy and grace. And this one is pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty self-explanatory that in light of all that's been done, this is the invitation. Come before God that you can talk to him, sing to him, in relationship with him, that there's nothing that stands between you and him because of what Jesus has done. That belief in him gives you that full access. And it's a beautiful thing that he ends with here. Starts out kind of rough. Let us fear. But he brings it home right here. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So with that, would you bow your heads? And we're going to enter in worshiping him. Well, Father God, we just thank you for all that you've done for us, but we just recognize the, the difficulty we have resting in that, resting in your completed work. God, we're so tempted to, to do things our own way, uh, to not recognize how when you have given us salvation that you have and God, some of us um, have been struggling with those feelings of needing to, to work, to, to earn it or to make you happy. Um, would you just 
would you just release us from that pressure? Would you just help us to remember um, that you have completed it? And God, there's some of us in this room um, who are still on the fence, still wondering whether or not we believe in you, still wondering whether or not we can believe you, that you have completed this work and that we can trust you in that. And so God, would your word um, just speak loud and clear? Would it be living and active in our lives, God? Sometimes it doesn't feel like you have done anything, but we just recognize your word is so sharp that you have, you have cut us in our unbelief just by hearing your words. And so would your words just be living and active in our hearts and minds today? And God, we just thank you for the invitation that you've given us, that we may draw with confidence to your throne. And so we come before you now with praise. Uh, would you just receive this song of praise from us? Because it is truly our desire just to sing back to you after all that you've given us. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray.
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So grace and peace come around. Have a wonderful week.